Welcome to the Glow Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Sun. I'm a lifestyle YouTuber and health and wellness enthusiast. This is where we will have raw and unfiltered conversations around wellness, self-care, astrology, relationships, and career. Join me and be empowered to become your best self mentally, emotionally, and physically. It's time to manifest your dream life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Glow Radio. Today, I am beyond excited to introduce Dr. Nicole with me, also known as the Holistic Psychologist on Instagram. She has over 3 million followers and honestly has helped me so much in my healing journey. So today I'm truly honored to be in her presence and I'm just so excited to chat with her. She also recently launched her first book, How to Do the Work. So if you guys haven't heard of it, you guys need to check it out. And I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit now. Welcome, Dr. Nicole. Thank you so much for having me, Jacqueline. It's a true honor. I'm super excited to connect with you and your community today. So first of all, how about you tell us a little bit about what you do in case anyone doesn't know yet? <laughs> Absolutely. So um, a couple years ago, I began to transition my practice. So I'm trained as a clinical psychologist. Um, as on the human side of things, I'm someone who has a very intimate relationship with all things anxiety um, brought me to be on both sides of the couch, um, trying to obtain my own treatment to feel better, essentially. Um, went into the field of a psychologist, um, mainly, I believe, to understand humans. Um, I had a really intuitive desire, curiosity, if you will, um, probably based in trying to understand myself first, which is what a lot of us are doing in the field, and then obviously share those insights with the clients with whom I would eventually work. So flash forward in time, a lot of training. I opened up my practice. It so happened to be in Philadelphia at the time. And several years in, um, I started to feel really disempowered, really stuck right alongside many of my clients who that was the predominant word that was really coloring our time together. So much insight, yet continued inability to create and maintain change. So from that, which was a low point for me, if I'm honest, in my own personal life, um, because for me, that anxiety never went away. And by that point, I had ac accumulated a lot of other byproducts, detachment, feeling really numb to this life that I had created around me. And I began a journey of curiosity first, trying to explore why quite universally we were so stuck as humans. And what I came upon was really a whole model of holistic wellness that I began to create really honoring uh, for the first time, as far as I see it in the field, the interconnectedness of our being, the fact that we are living in a physical body um, and that we also have an, an essence or a spirituality or a soul, that indescribable thing that makes us us in our uniqueness. Um, so from that point, I really looking at social media as a, as a burgeoning place to begin to share ideas, I created that Instagram account, The Holistic Psychologist, and began to share my story um, from of healing from, like I said, lifelong anxiety um, using these holistic methods. And quite early on, the resonance was universal. People's messages were coming in from around the world um, of other humans on similar journeys, really solidifying my, my course in life, hitting that hard pivot and beginning to work solely holistically. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. 
I really want to dive a little bit deeper into your kind of background and upbringing. Like what, what kind of started off this journey for you and what made you realize that you were having all this anxiety? I know you share a bit about your family life and I just want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. So anxiety was, was my human experience. There was never a time where I didn't um, relate to being an anxious individual. And in childhood, that looked like a lot of fear. Um, I, my mom tells me stories to this day where I would hide from neighbors, you know, as they, my mom would be walking up the street. I was very fearful, um, afraid of health issues, afraid of bumps in the night. I lived in a city. Um, so there was a lot going on outside of my, my family home, things to worry about. Um, racing thoughts, you know, I have memories of being up at night as a kid, always worrying, worrying, worrying. Um, so again, for me, that was as long as I can remember. I don't remember a time in childhood where that wasn't the case for me. However, I didn't really feel all that different um, at my core because I saw a lot of that same anxiety in my family. Um, I was born to a mother who, you know, very much was worried a lot, a lot of worry in the home, a lot of medical issues, a lot of things to worry about. So stress um, was really the core family emotion, which again was confusing um, because I had thought and I had seen a lot of that same symptoms in my family, giving me no reason to believe that there was any other origin other than genetics or you know the, the reasons I think that most of us make of these things. So for me, I never imagined healing. I never imagined wellness. Um, once I entered school, which for me began at my undergraduate, um, I was a declared psychology major. And as I began to learn about the field, I was met with similar um, explanations, genetic in origin. These were chips, you know, that I was had in my DNA. That's why I saw the same things in my family. And never once was a conversation of healing or wellness um, offered. So for me, I never really considered any question. I never questioned things until, like I said, several years into my practice where I had, I, I found myself having to do, I had to question because here I was the trained professional in the room, unable to actually help my clients. So I share that because I think a lot of us have that similar experience where there are explanations for how we feel or what we see ourselves doing. And perhaps no one ever in our world initiated a conversation around wellness, perhaps that we, many of us have a belief that we are limited to create actual long lasting change because we were raised with similar um, systems of belief. I can relate to that so, so much. And I just wanted to know what was like the first thing that helped you realize that this was more of a wellness or holistic issue? Like, was there one thing that kind of kickstarted you to be curious about that? Um, so when, you know, as I entered my 30s, um, not only was my anxiety pretty predominant in my life, um, I started to have physical symptoms on top of ones that I had been living with. So for me, I had a lot of digestive issues. I had those sleep issues that I referenced earlier. They traveled with me throughout life, um, though out of seemingly nowhere, uh, I started to faint. Um, I had never fainted before. Um, the first time it happened, I write about it in my book. Um, I was at a friend's house and the first time it happened, it scared me. The second, the third time it happened, I started to consider that something was wrong. So I would say that was my catalyst moment, mainly based in my health anxiety. I went online with the intention, or so I thought at the time, my initial intention 
was to figure out what was wrong with my brain, where I had located the, the possible issue. Um, and the gift of that, from that fear, where I was looking to actually see that there was something physically wrong with me, I actually was met with a whole new world of science, um, science that we now refer to as epigenetics. And the reality that yes, while we do have genetics that we're born with at birth, we actually have much more control than we once believed because the choices we make day in and day out, our lifestyle, how are we feeding our bodies? How are we sleeping our bodies? How can our bodies metabolize stress or not? All of those choices actually play a much greater role in whether or not we'll get that thing that our genetics might contain, whether our genes are expressed, as we say, or repressed. So for me, that was a small, small, very creak in the door, as I say, because there was still very much a part of my old belief system that read all of these incredible stories of healing now, people capitalizing on this epigenetic power, creating change through lifestyle intervention. Yet if I'm honest, there was a big part of me that thought, oh, but not me. I am limited. All of these people might be able to create healing and change in their life, but for whatever reason, my belief system, again, was arguing for my limitations. So like I say, it was a crick of a door. It just it began, I began to explore, okay, well, let me see. Let me begin to create small changes um, in my life and see if I can heal. So I didn't believe it, and I share that often um, because a lot of our beliefs are so ingrained that we might hear stories of healing and do similarly to like I did. Oh, that's great for her or for him or for them, but not for me. <laughs> and that's how I experienced it initially myself. That is so true. I feel like it's such a long process to reprogram our brain and our mind. And I just wanted to ask you, so do you feel like healing from your traumas is like a lifelong journey? Or do you feel like you can have a point where you're fully like completely healed? I, I always think the former that, you know, when I talk about the process, the journey, um, we can get to a place though, where, you know, we are grounded in our bodies, we are meeting our needs, and we're consciously navigating life. Um, that is healing, I believe, life and healing. Because the reality of being a human, and this is a quite a difficult one for many of us to tolerate, we're not static creatures, we're ever changing, we mature, we age, our circumstances change. I'm 38 year old, years old right now. I don't know what 48 years old is gonna be like in this body. I imagine my needs might shift and change a bit. Um, so this concept of done, um, right? This place where I'm finished healing, which we're all looking for. I used to call it my utopian hippie hammock in the sky where I could go to and just retire. I'm still looking for that hammock. And like I said, I don't believe it exists. And I don't actually think we would set ourselves up to be the ever evolving creatures that we are if we looked for that done place outside, right? So my work, the work of self-healing, in my opinion, is about empowering the self within to go into the uncertainty of life year after year as we grow, as we evolve, as the world changes around us and to navigate that resiliently. Mm -hmm. I agree very much. I feel like it's, it's an ongoing thing for sure. So I noticed in your work, you talk a lot about being addicted to chaos in relationships. How, what is your advice for someone who grew up with a lot of chaos? How do they enjoy a healthy relationship without getting bored? Yes, difficult one. And so our relational pattern, just to expand this question a bit, um, 
our relational patterns begin in childhood for most of us based on our earliest relationships. So the model, the way that we begin to relate in our childhood becomes our very repetitive patterned way of being into adulthood. The issue being, of course, that many of us are modifying ourselves in childhood, right? Are, are expressing perhaps some feelings and not expressing others or showing some parts of ourselves and perhaps not, not others. Often, more often than not, based on our very real lived experiences. When things feel accepted and loved, we continue to express those sides of ourselves and everything else we modify. We're very adaptive creatures. So flash forward in time into our adulthood, the, the familiar patterns that most of us are embodying in our relationships might not be fully honoring ourselves. They likely are a replication of those earliest models. So a lot of times we do seek certain feelings. We do seek to play certain roles, for, for instance, in our relationships, very common ones like the helper, the rescuer. Um, we tend to always be helping and rescuing or always attracted to this type of person um, or this type of feeling in a relationship. And this is where it gets increasingly frustrating for so many of us, as we maybe have and live the consequences of these relational patterns, which might not always serve us even more complicated when we have very well-meaning friends and maybe even family that are looking over our shoulder saying, why can't you learn? Why are you still in this type of relationship when you know it doesn't serve you? Well, the reason why Jacqueline lives in our subconscious mind and its evolutionary, evolutionary drive toward the familiar, because according to our subconscious, the familiar is preferred because it feels safer the next, the thing that comes next is predictable. Even if it's not logically the thing we want, we get to know more or less or have an increased ability to know what it is. That feels much safer to our subconscious than the possible threat that could come in the uncertainty of not knowing. This is where we get much more counterintuitive, why we keep going in those relational patterns that might have increasingly negative consequences attached because again, according to our subconscious, it's that which is familiar. So the way out to answer your question more directly is twofold, as, as most things in healing are. The first step will always be to become consciously aware of yourself, to become aware of what patterning you have in relationship, what roles you're always playing, what feelings maybe you're attracted to, the stress or the chaos. Becoming aware is always the first step, consciously aware because that allows us now over time, again, this doesn't magically switch like the light, now I know the pattern, I change it. Over time, the next step is to develop new choices, begin to make new choices, begin to break those patterns, making new patterns, new relationships. Again, understanding that doing so will be uncomfortable. This is where we have to embody change, right? So insight, knowing enough is part of the journey, seeing yourself compelled to engage in those repetitive patterns, yet to actually create change, we have to change those patterns. We have to start picking new relationships and, and tolerating the discomfort that comes with the newness of it all. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I feel like um, when you talked about that, like in your work on your Instagram, it helped me so much because I used to be in a very toxic relationship for, I think over 13 years. Yeah. And then when I finally met a healthy man, it was so mind blowing to me. I was like, <laughs> this exists. <laughs> it's just so crazy. Mm -hmm. And another thing that you talk a lot about is setting boundaries. So I wanted to ask, 
how do you overcome feeling guilty when you set boundaries if you're not used to that especially with people like your family yes great question um i think this is where i i give the devastating answer jacqueline which is you can't likely guilt will be part of it right meaning when i hear overcome right i think in terms of tolerate understand that guilt will likely right be part of it so if the expectation is I want to do something new. I want to create a limit, what a boundary is, perhaps in my family relationship, and I've never done this before, right? Anticipating that it will be difficult. There might be kickback and you likely will feel guilty. So throw away any expectation that you're not going to be feel guilty or that this is going to be easy. Again, anytime we're doing something new, our, our subconscious does not like it. So it's unfamiliar, therefore uncomfortable. The topic of boundaries is further complicated with the fact that typically we're setting a boundary between ourselves and another human. So whenever now there's another human involved, two things are at play, right? The first thing being a violation of expectation. If I'm always showed up in this one way with this person and now I'm not, or I'm stating that I have a new limit where I'm going to show up differently, whatever that might be, at minimum, this other human probably is gonna be a little surprised. There's been, especially when we're talking about family, for most of us, a lifetime of these expectations that we've fulfilled, right? They've expected us to be there and we have, and now we're not going to. So at minimum, we're gonna have some surprise, right? I call it a violation of expectation, complicated even further by who that person is. What is their wounding? Do they have some abandonment or some un unworthiness narrative that might get activated as they begin to experience us being differently? So of course it's gonna be much more complicated. So if anyone out there knows they need boundaries, anticipates that they might start setting them, expect that there'll be some degree of discomfort, be it guilt or something else, it will be there then the goal is to do it anyway, right? To understand that by creating this new boundary, the ultimate byproduct, in my opinion, of a new limit in a relationship is the sustainability of that relationship. Because as we continue to show up, not having our needs met, not possibly feeling safe in our relationships, unfortunately, most of us don't look in the mirror at the fact that maybe we haven't created boundaries for safety in our relationship. I'll, I'll just share what I did. I looked at the other people. And I went down the litany of reasons, right? Why they weren't the right friend for me, or they weren't the real, I essentially blamed the person, the other person. And resentment is one of the, the primary, you know, killers of our relationship. So by carving out some new limits, while it might be uncomfortable in the immediate, usually the long-term byproduct is a relationship that's far more stable into the future for both parties. I really like how you put that because sometimes I feel like we just, need to give ourselves permission to do things and accept that there's going to be some negative feelings along with it. Yes. And I love that you're saying that permission too, because here's where it gets complicated for some of us culturally, this messaging that we're giving, some of it's quite universal where any idea of self and self-care and tending to the self, in my opinion, gets a really bad rap, gets, gets termed selfish um, or like we're doing a disservice to those around us. And I, I believe that until our needs are met, until I'm an authentic person within myself, right? I'm doing my relationships a disservice. Mm -hmm, completely. So for people who are very empathetic and empaths, how do you recommend that they don't absorb all the negative energies around mm -hmm. 
I know this is a tough talk, one. <laughs> talk about boundaries, right, Jacqueline? So I believe that all of us humans are, are energetically sensitive. Obviously, there's a spectrum as there always is in life. However, if show me a human and what you're showing me is an energetic being, um, meaning we're sensitive, we're receivers of the energy around us. Again, we all vary, I think, in terms of how much energy we can take on and can contain. What's so important here too is boundaries, being aware of our resources. What do I have available to me? Um, there are many moments, right, for me where historically I never took that step. It didn't matter what I had available to me or not. If someone quote unquote needed me or a relationship quote unquote needed me, I felt obligated to show up. Um, so in those moments when I didn't have resources, when I was exhausted, when I had no emotional bandwidth, right? Chances are I, I was I was showing up in, in that much more permeable way where their energy might actually be quite problematic to me. So knowing ourselves is where this work begins, knowing when we've reached our limits, knowing those days where, you know what, I'm already overwhelmed with my energy. So if and when I would choose to show up to whoever, my, my lunch plans with my partner, the group I have to run this evening, Right now, that might not be the choices for me today, obviously understanding the circumstances where we can choose to cancel these plans. Though knowing our own bandwidth and like we're talking about setting boundaries, setting limits, saying when I've reached my maximum and I can't be available to take on someone else's energy in that moment would be our best course of action. That is so important. Setting boundaries has changed my life this year for sure. Yes. I want to know Absolutely. a little bit. It's been a huge part of my own healing too, mm. Jacqueline. <laughs> it's crazy. I want to know a bit more about your personal routine. Like, do you do any kind of spiritual practices? Like what, what's your kind of day-to-day -day like? So my routine, um, the me stuff, I found a location for that in the mornings. Um, and again, this doesn't mean that everyone's time is in the mornings. For me, my morning hours are when I can set my alarm a bit earlier and wake up um, and do things for me before I have to go about my day. This doesn't mean that it's not difficult for me. It's very hard for me not to go right into work mode. So that means honoring. So my, my routine begins when my, you know, I wake my eyes open and I have, like we all do, that choice. Do I jump on my phone? Do I go into my email? Do I get distracted with work? Or do I allow the hour or so that I've carved out to be for me in the morning? So my first choice is more often than not attempting to honor that boundary that that morning time is for me, resisting the urge to check in with work until after I take time for myself. And in that hour or so, what I find the most helpful for me is some version of moving my body um, some mornings, that's a very gentle yoga. Other mornings, it's a little more rigorous of a workout. For me, I now understand that I have a lot of energy that courses through my body in a given day. And this was a very begrudging lesson because I'm not someone who came by activity and exercise naturally. I actually hate it doing it. Though I've learned when I release that valve, I, I, I have much more calm energy available to me throughout the day. So again, that looks different what type of movement I do there'll be you know a half hour of movement um, i'll do some version of consciousness whether it's meditation sitting in a quiet meditation where i'm turned inward the very traditional sense i did not always do that 
Other times my morning looks like a more conscious moving meditation where I am very grateful I have the opportunity right now to live by the beach. So some mornings that means I take a mindful beach walk where I'm just present to myself, to my thoughts, to the experience of my body being on the beach. Um, something else that I do that I should have men mentioned first, because it's the first thing I do every morning, is I journal. Um, I created a habit for myself of something that I call future self journaling, where for me, especially very early on in my journey to create change, I found it very beneficial to start my day by setting an intention to do something different that day, because I knew by then how strong my autopilot is, like most of ours is. And if I didn't start to make new choices, I knew what my day would look like, and it would look like more of what my days had looked like in the past. So I developed a journaling practice that I still do to this day, where each morning I set my intention, the thing that I'm going to continue to work on through that day. Um, and I take about five minutes to put that in my journal. So I stay committed. I hold my boundaries around my morning time. Typically, I'm doing some version of intention setting to continue on my journey of transformation. For me, it's through future self journaling. Um, I'm moving, I'm doing some version of movement to release my energy, and I have some version of a consciousness practice, whether that's a sitting meditation or a move, move, movement one. I love that. I have seen your future self journaling prompts, and I do do them from time to time, so they're really helpful. Anyone who's interested in those can, if they want, you want to jump on my email list, um, they are for free and they will get sent to you and you can feel free to modify the journaling however you see fit. Um, though, like I said, for me, it was really, really helpful. I'm still doing it. I journaled just this morning. Awesome. So when you were planning to write your first book, kind of how, how did the ideas come to you and what was kind of your process for that? So 10 years ago, you never would have heard me planning for a book uh, in my future. I just never imagined um, that to be part of my journey. So shortly in, however, to sharing on Instagram. So I created the account, I think it was July 2018, as my main intention being twofold. Um, the first part of my journey was really, or the first part, intention was really an exercise in my healing journey, which was to begin to share my story. Because for me, by that point, I had noticed a pretty global pattern of me filtering my truth through other people, telling them what they want to hear, not telling them something that would upset them, filtering my truth through really every effect that my truth could have on everyone else. So for me, my first, my first goal was to speak my truth. And my second goal was to possibly authentically connect with other humans um, that were living a similar journey. So each and every day I began to share the tools of this new theory that I was, you know, had created. Very soon I started to get the ping, the want, the desire that a book would be really helpful. I love Instagram, don't get me wrong. I don't plan to leave Instagram because for me it's that kind of equalized access point um, of, for many of us, an opportunity to hear about some of these tools, these ways to heal. So that's always going to be part of um, what I offer to the world. However, I understood the limitations. I get a square, I get a caption. I mean, how much can I really go, go into? So very early I decided, you know, I, I felt the need to have something a bit more comprehensive and something that people can live with. Um, the way that I view this book, some of us might read it cover to cover. My hope is that people live with this. People dive in and, and begin to use the tools at the pace that works for them. So early on, I started to get, like I said, the ping, the want, I want to write a book. Um, and then very, I was offered the opportunity to do so and began to obviously create, create toward the book. Amazing. 
would you say that you're a pretty like intuitive person? I think it's so interesting you asked that, Jacqueline, because yes, um, I think I always have been. I think, you know, the ping that I'm always talking about, like I always knew I was going to be a psychologist. There was just some things that I just knew. Um, My sister actually texted me last week to, she was, you know, commending me because she was like, you know, there was something about you, Nicole, you always just followed. She was talking about in terms of how I looked, how I presented myself. I always looked a little different than my family. And despite my mom telling me how much I should look my, like my family, I never really cared. Um, and she was kind of honoring, taking a moment to honor that. You know, Nicole, you always seem to be like doing your thing and comfortable in it. So his, retrospectively, I'm saying all that to say, retrospectively, I wouldn't have said I'm following my intuition. I wouldn't have said, oh, well, mom, get off of me. My, this is my self-expression. I didn't know what I was doing. Just like I wouldn't have said I was following my intuition into the career of psychology. Though I think retrospectively, that is what I was doing. I was hearing, you know, a source of deeper wisdom. And in some moments, I was choosing to listen. Awesome. Do you, you mentioned that you do meditations. Like, do you do any other type of spiritual practices? Like, like you know, some people do oracle decks or, or I don't know, any rituals or anything like that. I'm just curious. Yeah, Oracle decks are definitely part of my life. Um, I actually have a very near and dear deck that was shared with me and you'll read about it. Those of you reading my book by someone who's now very near and dear to me, Jenna, um, her and I crossed paths very early on. She shared with me her Oracle deck. So yeah, I'm very connected now. And this is coming from you again would have talked to me a decade ago, I would have rolled my eyes at anything that mentioned spirituality. Um, anything that felt kind of erring into the religious, you know, institution side of things, which I did group spirituality into, um, I ran from. So I very much was, you know, if it's in science, if I can see it, I believe it. Um, though for me now, my journey of healing, peeling back all of my layers, really connecting with myself within has really opened up uh, all of that point of exploration. So I'm open and, and engage, you know, with all different types of ways to connect with the self. That's what I think mm-hmm. the soul, that being, that essence that we were talking about earlier. Um, so while the, whether it's Oracle decks or in nature or, you know, any sort of spiritual realm or medium, I'm very interested and open to all of that. Absolutely. I love that. Um, Yeah, because I grew up in a very like religious family and it kind of took me a long time to break the fear out of that because there's so much like fear when you grow up in that type of household. But recently I've developed my own opinions about things and it's it's pretty mind blowing. Yeah, a lot of us, I think, have that fear. We have just misinformation about it. You know, some of us might have felt forced or coerced. I mean, there are a lot of religious sects that, you know, do feel very extreme and have caused people um, deeper wounding and trauma. So for a lot of reasons, um, I think anytime spiritual words are offered, a lot of us inside go, oh, at minimum and, you know, kind of push it away and, and battle it. Um, so again, part of my my hope here when I we begin to speak holistically is that we become able to honor mm-hmm. that deeper inner knowing that I believe lies within each of us um, and begin to cultivate that space of empowerment, that that confidence that we each do know what is right for us, whether it's for our physical bodies, our emotional bodies, or our spiritual self. Many of us just need to do, find our way back and learn how to trust that deeper knowing. For sure. If there was only one piece of advice you could give people about healing from their trauma, what would that be for you? 
my piece of advice, you know, would be uh, reassurance that it's possible. Because um, I think a lot of us that are that have been living in in the the trauma body, as I call it, all of the habits and patterns that you know are the place from which we're reacting and reacting and reacting, um, and many of us don't feel like we have control, don't feel like we have choice because we we haven't harnessed that yet. So possibly when you hear people like me talk about healing and all the transformation, you know, that, that one can, that one can cultivate, you, you might, you know, very much not believe it to be true for yourself. Um, though my advice is, will always be twofold to honor where you're at in your journey and to hold that hope to be, you know, if I can be the little person that kicks open that door that I had kicked open for me, even if you're going to battle and say, it's not, not for me, um, I don't believe that anything gives us wisdom than the lived experience of. So in this context, the lived experience of creating change, which is why I talk about why change is so hard. Why as humans, we're not geared really to evolve in these ways. We like to be stuck in that familiar. And for a lot of us, it's in those familiar trauma patterns, um, though change is possible. Awesome. I love that. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. I wanted to ask you some fun questions. Love it. Switch so, away. <laughs> so what is your favorite food or meal to have? My favorite meal. That's so funny. I was asked this a bit earlier is I'm going to, I'm going to give the whole meal of it and it's pizza and ice cream. <laughs> oh, I love, love that. Any, Can't get enough. <laughs> any specific flavor? Um, Pizza, I'm an old school girl, though. I like most, I like toppings. Um, really, you can't do me wrong. I'm Italian. So any anything with bread and sauce and cheese, I'm all for it. Uh, the flavor of ice cream, though, my, my die hard from childhood is mint chocolate chip. The white kind, if possible. <laughs> I love that. So specific. <laughs> Another fun question. Well, I'm someone who's super into astrology. So I was just very curious, what is your zodiac sign? I am a Virgo rising. Uh, my moon, I believe is, Vir no, no, I'm a, a Virgo sun, a Virgo moon, and an Aquarius rising. Oh, very interesting. I was going to guess Aquarius since you, you said you're a little bit different and unique and fun or how your sister described you. Yeah. That's very funny. I Virgo, am a Virgo, Virgo. I am a Virgo moon and a Virgo rising, but a Pisces sun. <laughs> That's so fun. Um, next question is, what is your ideal day? Like, what would be your a dream day? Anytime I'm in nature for me is, is really ideal. Um, for as long as I can remember as someone who very much struggled in my body, in my mind with racing thoughts, nature was always that grounded place, um, going into the, the woods in childhood, you know, having a hike for me, that was always a place where I just felt a little more peaceful. Um, so for me, that that's true until this day. Um, obviously I've been able, thankfully to cultivate much more peaceful overall existence in my being though. You'll still feel me, find me on an ideal day out in nature somewhere. Awesome. So what, what are some of your goals for the upcoming season or anything else you're working on that you want to share? How much time do you have? <laughs> yeah, I have so, so much. <laughs> no, I'm teasing because I have so much, Jacqueline. I have so much coming. Um, 
I have, I have so many new things that I'm excited to create into the self healer circle, um, which is the virtual learning membership that we've now had had in existence for over a year. Um, a lot of new things that we want to build into that virtual community. Um, in addition, of course, to some coursework that I want to roll out um, in the foreseeable future, as well as I want to be able to make some offerings in the form of memberships and course content um, for the practitioner side of things. Um, for the other humans out there who want to begin to evolve their practice um, in a more holistic direction, um, I want to be able to offer some tools and resources for that nature. So when I say I have a lot in mind, um, we're just getting started with this book. This for me, um, my hope of this is this is the foundation, though there's so many other resources that I want to create, um, access points that I want to make sure exist in the new virtual landscape that most of us are spending most of our time on these days. Awesome. Do you have plans to write a second book or more? I do. And I may or may not have an idea in the works. And so absolutely. Um, I have a follow-up book that I want to offer on all things relationships and the neurobiology of relationships. So I'm going to be putting together a proposal and hopefully um, finding a publisher that's a good meet match for that book. So yes, lots of, lots of new topics um, that I want to put in book format out there as well. I've always loved books. Um, so I love the opportunity to put this type of work in something that can live on like a book can. Awesome. Amazing. So where can everyone find you online? <laughs> well, those of you who haven't yet crossed my path on Instagram, I am there day in and day out. Um, The.holistic.psychologist. We have an incredible community of self healers. Um, so outside of the healing content where I'm sharing my own journey, we share tools um, to continue the self-healing journey. There's incredible humans um, really engaged in the work, really engaged in their own work that they're creating in the collective. Um, so anyone out there who's looking for some humans to connect with, definitely come over to the Instagram. For the YouTubers out there, um, I do have a YouTube channel. You can give a search to The Holistic Psychologist. Um, for season one of the content teaching videos that I have up there already um, and staying tuned for season two. And one new cool project that actually just got recorded our first episode last week, um, be having my own podcast with myself and my co-host, Jenna Weekland. The Self Healers Soundboard will be coming to a podcast listing near you in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that. Amazing. That sounds so exciting. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like we learned a lot. Your, your work always helps me and inspires me. So I truly, truly appreciate that. Of course. Thank, thank you, thank so you much. Jacqueline. Of course. Thank you for taking the time and your energy with me. Thank you, everyone out there listening. Um, thank you for what you're doing in the world and how you're showing up. Mm -hmm.